Good morning. If you do not have your Bibles yet, please grab them. We're going to be diving into Luke chapter 1, picking up where we left off last week. And let me do a, a quick kind of a reminder of what ha- we've gone through here. So two weeks ago, the first week in Luke, we looked and saw that Luke is putting together a well-researched study of reliable sources concerning the gospel, what Theophilus has been taught, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We also saw that his, his purpose was so that we can be certain of the gospel. All right? And then last week, we looked at the announcement of John the Baptist, the front runner of the Messiah. Great national news. We also saw last week when that was announced to Zechariah, he asked the question, how can I know this? And this kind of follows up with Luke's purpose of we can be certain. This question of, well, how can I be certain? And we saw that the Gabriel's answer to Zechariah is the same answer that we are given, is that because God has said so, because God's word has said it would be so. And that picks us up this morning. And if you uh, had a chance to look at where we're at, or as, as John read there, the announcement of Jesus, his birth, his conception. Throughout this passage, we'll see two running themes. One is the announcement of the conception of the long-awaited Messiah King, Jesus. That's one thing we'll see throughout this whole passage. And the second one lines up just with that. Basically, our salvation. Follow with this. The proclamation of the long-awaited Messiah King is great news because it means our salvation. And our salvation is pictured in this exchange with Mary. And we'll, we'll flesh that out to what that actually means a little more here. But I wanted to say that those are the two things we're looking at today in this passage. The proclamation of the coming Messiah King, and then what that means for us, which means our salvation, which is pictured in the exchange with Mary. Now, if you're sitting at home right now, sitting on the couch, and wondering, so what does this have to do with me? Like, why, What is this going to do? Or what? what's the big point here? It matters for your everyday life about the proclamation of Jesus as King and as your salvation, which I think that's the more obvious one. But we see that Jesus King has everything to do with history, has everything to do with reality. It has everything to do with your purpose for each day. It has everything to do with your decisions when it comes to money, marriage, uh, whatever, any kind of decisions. Career um, has to do with the Savior's soul. It has to do with the fears and anxieties of your heart. It has to do with the shame and guilt that festers within you. So basically, yes, this message of the proclamation of the Messiah King has everything to do with our everyday lives and everything we deal with. And so let's work through the passage. So again, if you don't have your Bible, please get it. Um, Just a heads up as we go through it. We will be jumping around quite a bit in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Uh, Feel free just to listen to me and just write it down um, instead of having to flip everywhere because I'll go through it faster than what you'd be able to typically flip to it. So just a heads up, but let's jump into it. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So here's the setup. It says in the sixth month, and we see down in verse 36 that this reference to the sixth month is in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist. And so there's the setting. So this is about roughly possibly six months after uh, the angel announces John the Baptist's conception to Zechariah. 
And it says that the same angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And interesting thing, Nazareth is a pretty much uh, unknown, or I should say, um, it would be what would be considered today a flyover country. Very unknown, small rural town. Uh, most likely, Luke adds in there a city of Galilee because Theophilus, who he's writing to, does, probably has no idea where Nazareth is. Um, Nazareth is on no major trade route. So it's an unknown town, just no, in the middle of nowhere, basically. Which is interesting, because we have this difference in these announcements. There's similarities. It's Gabriel. He's announcing a conception to Zechariah and then to Mary. But it's completely different. The settings are different. Uh, at the, the at Zechariah, it was in the temple. There's a lot of people there. Not in the temple, but outside of the temple. And then with Mary, she's by herself in, in a town that there's not much known about it or not much popularity with it. But we'll see in this announcement that Jesus is greater than John in every way. So there we have it. The sixth month, Gabriel, the same, the same angel, comes to Mary. And it says, to a virgin betrothed. And a virgin, uh, being exactly what that means, never had sexual relations, which will come up again, and we'll talk about that. As we know, that's important. But the, I want to hit on the, the betrothed or the engaged. Because that's a lot different than what we consider engaged. As we know that there are some in our church family who are engaged. At that time, the, the engagement was for about a year. And it was typically arranged by parents. It was a far more legal binding arrangement where the only way it could be broken is if it was by divorce or death. Um, typically, it's a, a one-year engagement. And the, the lady is... is it's about proving her purity and her faithfulness to her husband. They're considered at that time in engagement to be husband and wife. And the husband at that time, he's working to, to, to build a home for his wife. After that year, there ends this uh, seven-day wedding feast, and then the um, consummating the wedding, and then they are officially, officially married, if you will. Um, during this time, they're not living together. They're not having sex. Um, and typically, the the Jewish girl at the, about that about that time was about twelve or thirteen, and so that's where we get the age of Mary um, coming from. That so there's this this uh, this engagement that's far more uh, what's the word just far more legally contracted as compared to engagement this day, uh, these days. But there we go. So we get the virgin betrothed, and then you get this man Joseph. So she's betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And that's where we key in on because this is where the outline of King Jesus, the Messiah King, begins to be fleshed out and begins to be filled in. Joseph's of the house of David means he's from the royal lineage. He's a descendant from King David. And you need to be a descendant in order to be a royalty. And although Joseph is not... Jesus' natural father, his adoption of Jesus would have made him a, a legitimate part of David's lineage. Um, in fact, we'll see in chapter 3 that even Mary was a descendant of David as well. And then again, it comes up again. The virgin's name is Mary. And we'll see that continue. But follow with me here, and we'll see this continue to pick up. The theme of Jesus as king as it just starts here with this, this um, preliminary idea or thought or note of Joseph as a descendant of David and then Mary 
and our exchange picture of our salvation, which will pop up here. So we've got this setting. The angel comes to Mary. And they're picking that up, verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. All right, here we go. So he starts out, greetings. Uh, oh, favored one. If you have siblings, have you ever talked with your siblings and maybe joked or maybe somewhere serious about, yeah, I'm dad's favorite or I'm mom's favorite. Or you're like, yep, so-and-so is for sure dad's favorite. So-and-so, the, the few men that are here are, are agreeing. <laughs> but yeah, we, we say that. And most likely or a lot of times it's because their personality is like the parent that, they, that we say that they're the favorite of. They've got similar interests. Uh, here with Mary, it is not the case. That is not the case whatsoever. The old favor one, it means that Mary is the recipient of God's favor, God's undeserved grace. She, on uh, no merit of her own, God has shown her favor. And let me make a, a point here. This is where um, Roman Catholics mistakenly get their prayer, Hail Mary. Have you ever heard of that? In the, the Latin Vulgate, the translation they use, they, um, it's translated full of grace. And from their idea here is that Mary is the source of grace, that Mary gives out grace, and that is the exact opposite of what we see here, is that Mary's a recipient of grace. There's nothing about her that deserves this grace. She deserves punishment justly, just as we do. But yet she has become a recipient of God's grace. And here is exactly where we see that our picture of salvation begin. Just as she does not deserve God's grace, but God has shown her undeserved grace, so we too, those who believe, there's nothing special about us whatsoever, but yet God shows us his grace. And this continues. He says, Oh, favor the Lord is with you. This idea, this picture of salvation for us continues. The Lord is with her, just as God is with us. And if you, uh, if you hear that phrase, Lord is with you, it immediately in my head goes to Romans 8, probably my favorite chapter. And I want to read the section. This is Romans 8. So if you have your Bibles, flip to Romans 8, verses 31 to 39. Uh, probably one of my favorite passages. It reads this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so just as Mary is, is receiving God's 
undeserved favor, his grace. And God is with her in the same way through Christ, faith in Christ. We have God's grace. We don't deserve it. And he is with us. And it says Mary. How does Mary respond? It says she's greatly troubled. Kind of like Zechariah. She's like, what is going on? But it's interesting that it tells us why she's troubled. It says she's, she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Why? Because she's just like us. Sinners who do not deserve any kind of grace from God, any kind of mercy. But yet she's, heard, she's hearing from the, the angel, the messenger of God, that she's the old favor one. The Lord is with you. And she's like, what is going on? What is going on? But going on. So the angel then begins this, this majestic announcement about Jesus. And as you look through this, all the language is like kingship language. And it refers back to the, the divinic covenant, which is the covenant that God made with David back in um, 1 Samuel chapter 7. I'm looking quick, so I'm trying to remember if it's 1 or 2 Samuel. AJ, help me out. Which one is it? Coming back here. We'll go with this. But I want us to see that through this whole announcement of Jesus, it's all language about a king. And we're going to hit a lot of things here, so follow with me. Get ready. At first, he says, do not be afraid. And we see this exactly with Zechariah. Why? Because you're seeing an angelic being, a, a, a being that's in front of God, that serves in front of God, that he even says that to Zechariah. And she says, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God a second time. Twice now, oh favor one, and now you found favor with God because she she gained it? No, not at all. On no merit, on no worthiness on her part, but God chose her. Just as in our salvation, God chose us. Let me read this section. This is from Ephesians 1, a picture of our salvation. It reads this. Paul writes this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the, bra- the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a, a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. How glorious. And I just, I hang, especially this week, I hang to the forgiveness of our trespasses because I make a lot of mistakes and a lot of frustrations, work on projects, and a lot of things are said that you're not proud of. And if that is not enough uh, uh, saying to us that this has nothing to do with you, Paul follows up in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not result of the works that no one may boast. As if he's got to hammer out five more times. So just as Mary, she's called the favorite one. You found favor with God. The Lord is with you. Not at all has she done anything to deserve this. We too, in our forgiveness of sin, of being justified by God, declared right, have owed nothing to it. Nothing. One scholar says the same exact thing, Daryl Bach. He says, she is a picture of those who receive God's grace on the basis of his kind initiative. 
on his kind of initiative, not on our worthiness. So then the, uh, Gabriel continues. He, he announces uh, uh, the virgin conception, which we'll get to because Gabriel gets more into it a couple of verses later. But he says that the, the um, he says you shall, where does this say here? You shall call his name Jesus. Jesus meaning Yahweh is Savior. Yahweh is Savior. In, Matthew, uh, in Matthew's account, he says that his name shall be Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So we get this, this glorious picture of this king and his work. He's saving. He will save his people from his sins. And then let's continue. Now we're going to just nail out these descriptions of this king. Here we go. He says he'll be, he'll be great is what uh, Gabriel says, talking about Jesus. And this might ring some bells because Gabriel said something similar to John the Baptist. Uh, verse 15, the angel says, for he'll be great before the Lord. In contrast, Jesus will just be great. He has got no um, qualifying statement. He is the definition of great. Listen to this. This is how Paul uh, uh, talks about Jesus in Ephesians chapter 1 again. Coming back to it, he says this. Uh, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. This, this greatness of Christ. If that's not good enough, back in Micah, so centuries before this is said, God through Micah says this, But you, O Bethlehem, Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, when coming forth, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. But here we go. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord is God. And they shall dwell secure, for he shall be great, to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So we've got this greatness of this announcement of the king. And then Gabriel goes on. He says, he will be called the son of the most high. The son of the most high. That phrase at that time, in that contemporary time, refers to a king. So we're getting this continued picture of a king. Most high. If you look in the Old Testament, most high is used frequently. A lot in Daniel and a lot in Psalms. And it refers to God's position as the supreme sovereign ruler. The supreme sovereign ruler. And then we see that in, in front of it, son of the most high. So we're getting this, this picture of the Trinity. Look at this. Back in Psalm 2, verse 4 through 7, the psalmist, I think this is the one from David, he writes this, talking about the, the Messiah. He says, He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them to in his very saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And so we just this continued description of Jesus, the king. Gabriel's announcing this, and it just continues. Follow on. Gabriel says, And God will give him the throne of his father David. And it was Second Samuel. I was not wrong. Now I see it. So God came to David and made a covenant with him. This is this is recorded in 2 Samuel. It's also in 1 Chronicles. I forget what chapter it is. But in 2 Samuel 7, you see this covenant that God makes with David about being a king after him, that his, his, 
his uh, um, kingdom, his dominion will, have, will be forever. It will not end. This is from 2 Samuel. This is chapter, uh, chapter 7, verse 16. God says this to David. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And this, this announcement from Gabriel to, about Jesus, that God will give to him the throne of his father David. Referring to the king, a throne. Isaiah says this. And this might sound familiar about around Christmas because we, we use this verse a lot. Isaiah writes, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. If that's not enough, Jeremiah says in chapter 30, But they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. So you've got this prophecy from centuries beforehand about this one who will come from the lineage of David, or the royal lineage, who will be king, who will sit on David's throne, whose kingdom will never end. And so this is growing. And so this is Gabriel speaking to Mary, as we said, probably about 12 to 13. Imagine. You, I know some of you have daughters. I told the 13, imagine that. This, this, this angel saying this to this young lady. So this announcement of the covenant of David that we saw back in 2 Samuel finds fulfillment in Jesus. And Gabriel continues. He says, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In the house of Jacob, referring to Israel. Um, one scholar or, or a Christian from church history says this, Christ's throne was therefore erected among the people of Israel that he might then subdue the whole world. All whom he has joined by faith to the children of Abraham are accounted to the true Israel. And this, this harkens back, I did say harkens, I don't know if that's the right usage. It, it brings us back to Genesis 12 when God makes a covenant with Abraham and he says through this seed all the nations will be blessed. And then, if you remember back in our study of Galatians chapter 3, if not, the messages are online, YouTube, on our website, on the podcast. Paul tells us that those of faith are sons of Abraham. That this is, a, a, honestly, a gospel proclamation that the, the Gentiles, us, the vast majority of us, will be reached through this Jewish king. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, not just not just Israel, but everyone, the nations. And Psalm 2, back where we were before, the writer continues, I will tell the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And then right here, verse 8, ask of me and I'll make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And I'm sure that Jesus did not forget to ask. Ask of me and I'll make the nations your heritage. Jesus is king and he's ruling now over his people. Gabriel does not end there. He continues. He says, and of his kingdom there will be no end. It will continue forever. Unceasing. Nothing will bring it to an end. Nothing will halt his reign. Daniel 7. And this will sound familiar. Daniel writes, I saw in the night of visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And that might ring bells to when we were going over Jesus in the, the trials, because he referred to himself 
as that figure. But then continuing in Daniel 7, he says, And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so the question, do we believe that? Do we believe that Jesus is king, that he's ruling now over his people? He will return. Do we believe that he reigns? Because it's being very clear. They continue in our passage. How does Mary respond? Verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Now, if you're like me, you hear that question. And it sounds very familiar and similar to Zechariah's question to the angel. And Zechariah, when he asked that, he got a short-term discipline. But we do not see that with Mary. We, we know the difference uh, just because of God's discernment. This is that Zechariah asked with doubt, not Mary. Mary is not asking doubt. She is simply asking, how is this going to be? She believes it's going to be, but she's one instruction. Well, how is this going to be? I'm a, I'm a virgin. I've never known a man. As Matthew Henry says, he says, this was not the language of her distrust or any doubt of what the angel said, but of a desire to be further instructed. So she asks, how will this be? So she's hearing this, this glorious uh, announcement of Jesus as king. Not only that, in all those prophecies, there's this hint, which I think is very strong, that the, this is going to be God himself, the wonderful counselor, mighty God that we heard in uh, that passage, uh, Isaiah 9. And then Gabriel answers her, and this is where we see the virgin conception. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And that uh, might um, bring up memories. That's not the right word. But it might bring you back to Genesis 1. At the creation of the world, we're talking about the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And we get this picture here, the Holy Spirit again acting as an agent of creation in the womb of Mary. He says, And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And this is the same language. And it is intentional of when, in, when Israel in the Old Testament, had the tabernacle and that God's presence will, would descend and possess it. That's the same idea here, the same language. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the question of well, how this will be, Gabriel answers, by the power of God, that's how it will be. And we can know that it will be because God has said it, which we saw last week. How can I know this? Because God has said it. And so there we get we get this the the, the our, our belief of the virgin conception in our our church as our church family here at Selby our statement of faith says this about Jesus we believe that Jesus Christ was begotten by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary and is true God and true man and this is exactly what we're reading here that he was begotten by the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he was born the Virgin Mary the virgin conception why is this important. Why do we die in this hill of virgin birth, if I can say that? It's exactly our statement of faith, where we say, um, born of the Virgin Mary, and is true God and true man. Because the virgin birth, it, it affirms Jesus' deity. He is God. He's the Son of God, as the Gabriel says. Hebrews 1 says this, He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. He is God. Jesus is God. He's not just a good teacher. He's just not just a prophet that did some cool stuff. He is God. 
The virgin birth also affirms Jesus' humanity. As our, our statement state says, in his true God and true man, he was really born, he was really human, he really had all our, our human stuff. He wept, he ate, he drank, he slept, he got thirsty. Uh, he was tempted just as we are. He was tempted to gossip, to fear, to lust, tempted to, to doubt, yet he did not sin. And we see this as Gabriel says, he'll be holy. He was sinless. He is sinless. And, and this is vastly important for our salvation because if he wasn't sinless, he would not be an appropriate sacrifice. But Jesus is sinless. He is holy. And even in this, this virgin birth, we get a picture of our salvation. The virgin birth was an act of God alone. Outside, no man. It was not a work of man. It was an act of the Holy Spirit. In the same way, our salvation, and it becomes very clear in John chapter 3, is all a work of God, all a work of the Holy Spirit. Not on any effort of man. And then Gabriel continues, he says, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. And so he, she, Gabriel tells Mary... Yes, your relative, she is also pregnant. Remember, this is the one, as Gabriel says, who was called barren, an older woman. Um, if you're wondering about relative, Mary, a descendant of David. We learned back in earlier in chapter 1 that Elizabeth is a descendant of Aaron. So most likely, I don't know if it says here something else, that they're related through Mary's mom. And that could be some disagreement. That's why I bring it up. But the point being here is that Gabriel even gives Mary almost a sign, an unasked for sign, like, hey, even Elizabeth, she is is pregnant. And then he ends with this. Gabriel says, For nothing will be impossible with God. For nothing will be impossible with God. Where have we heard that before? In your own Bible reading and in preaching and teaching you listen to, where have you heard that before? The rich young ruler. When he comes... He says, yep, I cut the law. Jesus says, well, do one thing. Uh, give your money to the poor. And the rich young ruler leaves sad. And then Jesus turns to the people and says, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. He says, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom. And the people pretty much cry out, well, then who can be saved? How can someone be saved? And that's literally how it is. And then Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And so you get kind of the same thing that the Gabriel is saying here. For nothing will be impossible with God, just as nothing is impossible with God on, on the, the nature side in terms of a virgin conception, in the same way salvation. There's no way, there's absolutely no way you and I can be saved on our own part. Absolutely no way. But nothing is impossible with God. And he made a way through Christ that we can be saved, we can be forgiven. And how sweet that is because God loves to forgive. And he has it open through Christ. And then it ends. Last verse, verse 38, Mary's response. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. This is a 12, 13-year-old girl talking. Behold, I am the... She's just learned that she's going to be... Uh, she's going to get pregnant. And she's engaged. And she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel depart from her. Remember, this... She, this, she says this all 
complete unknown about how is Joseph going to respond when he finds out I'm pregnant. Not only that, uh, the stigma of unwed motherhood was far greater during that time. Add on to that, the appearance of committing adultery was punishable by death, by stoning. And there's all that unknown. And Mary says, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. A 12, 13-year-old young woman says this. And we get this picture of our, our salvation again, this response of trust, belief, and obedience. And so there it is in our passage today, these two running themes. The announcement of the long-awaited Messiah King, which is absolutely good news for us because that means salvation, which we saw pictured with Mary. The announcement of the the long-awaited King, the one who will save us from our sins, the one who will reign forever, the God-man, the Son of the Most High, the Lamb of God who takes away our sins, who is our sacrifice. And then the picture of our salvation, just as Mary was favored and chosen by God's grace. We who believe are chosen and favored by God's grace with nothing on our part. Just as the virgin birth was a work of the God, the Spirit alone, not of any man, so is our spiritual rebirth. And her response is a picture of ours, of trust, of faith, of obedience. And that's exactly how we we respond to God in salvation, trust, Belief and obedience. So I'll bring it up again. What does this have to do with your life and my life? Number one is all that stuff you did this past week can be forgiven in Christ. It means your marriage, your career, your choices with money, your choices with leisure, whatever, how you how you parent, that should all be done and guided by the word of the king, which has been spoken in his in his word, the Bible. It'll be recorded in the Bible. All that should be done to our king, according to his guidance. And we have purpose each day as a child of king, sent out as a father, mother, husband, wife, young man, young woman, student, worker, all sent out by the king to live under his rule and to point people to respond with faith and repentance to the king that reigns now. That's how it affects us each day. And the phrase... Don't put all your eggs in one basket. We've heard that, right? Or, or AJ, what's the financial thing? We're diversify, right, right? You don't have to diversify when it comes to our hope in Christ. We can put all our eggs in this one basket. I know if for me, it can be very easy to, to keep some back because of the fear of disappointment. What if it doesn't work out? But with Christ, we have a firm foundation. We can go all in. So Jesus reigns. Right now, the government, right now, the military, even terrorism, seems like it's got a firm grip when it comes to an an impressive force. But it will end. The American dollar, it will end. The, The U.S. government, it will end. But Jesus will forever be King of kings and Lord of lords. And it's that announcement that Jesus is Lord that gives us courage to go out today. Because our King reigns and He is Lord. Let me end with one verse. This is uh, the most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament. So in the New Testament, when it quotes the Old Testament, this is the most quoted verse. I'm giving you some time to guess right now. Which one do you, where do you think it's coming from? AJ, what do you think? No idea. Psalm 110, verse 1. The most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament. It reads this. 
The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. I read it again. Psalm 110.1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus is King of Kings and he's Lord of Lords. I'm going to pray here. But let me tell you, if you are wanting prayer or in need of prayer, please reach out to me, reach out to one of the elders, reach out to one of the deacons, please reach out. We are far more than willing. We are very happy to pray with you. So pray with me as we end here. Father, Lord, we how sweet it is to hear the, the words that there's forgiveness of our sins. I just think back on my week, Lord, and different frustrations and things said, things done that I'm ashamed of. And Lord, how sweet to hear there's forgiveness in Christ. The hurts that we cause our spouse, there's forgiveness in Christ. When we don't parent well, there's forgiveness in Christ. When we do something unethical at work, there's forgiveness in Christ. Lord, may we savor that sweetness throughout the week as we are attacked with guilt and shame from the enemy of our soul. May we just hang on to it. There's forgiveness in Christ. And God, may we live today and this week just with the, the, the truth as right now, you're the reign of the Father and you are reigning and you will return. Lord, may we take an account of our lives um, Lord, how we, how, we're, how we are in our marriage, how we live in our marriage, how we're parenting, how what we're doing with our money, what we're doing with our time, um, our decisions. Let's see it in the light of, okay, what does my king tell me to do here? Lord, we are so thankful that you are gracious to us, just like you were to Mary, that for no merit on, her, on herself or her side, you favored her, that you were with her. And Lord, we may we believe that today when things don't seem like it, may we hold on to it. You know what? God is for me. Who can be against me? Nothing can separate me from God's love. Lord, thank you. And Lord, we, we ask this in your son's name. Amen.